I want to tell you about a friend of mine. His name, his name uh, was Barry, Barry Graves. I went to college with him. Uh, he and I were friends. He became a pastor later on in his life. And um, he and his wife had uh, a couple of children, and then later on in their life, they had another child. His name was David. And when David was born, he was diagnosed with something called miller deeker lissencephaly syndrome. You, I think we have that written there. miller deeker lissencephaly syndrome. It's a very difficult, difficult uh, disease. In fact, it's extremely rare. Some people know it as it's called smooth brain syndrome. It's when a child is born and the, and the child doesn't have contours in their brain. It's just a smooth brain. Now, the children that have this usually only uh, live a short time, as in a few years at the most. A child is born, no one knows that the child has this. And when the child is born... Um, the child grows just a little bit, just a little bit, literally a few weeks. And then it stops development. Not physically, but in every skill, every motor skill, every, everything, intellectually. And the child just begins, uh, just stops. And the body continues to grow, but the child doesn't in any other way. And then eventually, um, the, the things which keep us alive, things like uh, uh, the ability to thrive and want to feed and want to grow and want to eat, goes away and the child dies. And that's what happened to little David Graves. I got to thinking about that. I'm sorry to bring such, such a sad kind of thing to you this morning. I started thinking about that, and I started realizing that that's what so many Christians do. Many Christians seem to have the spiritual version of that physical illness. Pastor Jay preached last week a message called, Come to Me. Today I want to preach one called, Come Follow Me. I made a statement the other Wednesday night, uh, several weeks ago, that um, Jesus never called people to believe in him. Did you know that? He never called people to believe in him. He never called people to believe in him. He ne- the, the early Christians never called people to believe in Christ only. Jesus called us to be disciples. Believing in Christ is the beginning of being a disciple. It is not the end. It's just the beginning. And in somehow in American Christianity, we have turned Believing in Christ to be the end game. That if we just come to Jesus, get saved. That's what we call it. Just get saved. You just get saved. And then that's the end. You just stay there. You, you get saved. You stay there. You're born again. And you stop growing. And that's all you have to do. Just stop growing. Just get your name written in the book of life. And just look at it. And that's sadly enough. That is not what Jesus called us to do. Now, it is true that believing in Christ is the most important single thing you'll ever do. Now, that's true, isn't it? Giving your heart to Jesus and become a Christian, believing in Christ is the single most important thing you'll ever do. That's called getting saved. That's being, having your name written in the book of life. That's being 
born again. That's being transformed. That's letting, letting Jesus come in your heart and have your sins forgiven. The most important single event. But that is not what Jesus called us to do. He called us to be disciples. In fact, he even said to us, go into all the world and get people saved. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Obviously, (coughs) the beginning of that is that they come to Christ. But it's so much bigger than that. So much wider than that. So much more important than that. Jesus never called people to just be believers. He called us to be disciples. We have a whole nation in the church of Jesus Christ of people who have become believers and believers only. I'll read John 3.16. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we stop and camp on it. But I want to remind you of Luke 9, verse 57 through 62. I want to read this to you, okay? Maybe you can read it with me. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. And the man said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound to me like Jesus is calling people to make a profession of faith in Christ. Sounds to me like he's saying that following Christ is a lifetime. In fact, it it almost sounds like following Christ is a decision. You know, believing in Christ is a decision, but following Christ is also a decision. In fact, it's a decision that we have to put a little bit more thought into other than just responding at the altar call. I love altar calls. I'm all for altar calls. We're going to have one today. And I think altar calls are incredible. But I like people who are not only called to the altar to get saved, but are called to discipleship to follow Christ. And that's what we will preach. Um, In in Matthew 13, we have the parable of the sower. You've heard it before. Uh, Remember the man uh, goes along and he sows seed on the ground. The Bible says in Matthew 13, it says, in verse 20, it says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy at the altar call. Yet he has no roots. He endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises, he immediately falls away. That, to me, is a person who comes to Christ, accepts it with joy. Yay, I got saved. Sign my name down. But when the first thing comes along that shakes them, they throw away their faith. That's what it says. That is a person who became a believer, but never a disciple. And a person, listen to this, a person who becomes a believer and not a disciple doesn't stay a believer long. Just like the precious children with the syndrome that I just mentioned. 
They come into the world appearing normal, but there's no development, and they can't last long. It's a spiritual principle. It's not a disease. It's a spiritual principle. That's why discipleship, learning to walk with Christ, is so terribly important. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he's, he's a famous guy, a famous German theologian, a famous German uh, preacher who, were, who was killed by the Nazis because he refused to do what Hitler said. He was killed a month before the war ended. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he lived it out, he made this statement, salvation is free, but discipleship may cost you your life. Hey, discipleship will cost you your life. That's what it's about. How many of you in sometime in your life uh, went to a Billy Graham crusade? Oh, that's quite a few hands. How many of you have seen them on television? All right, more hands. When I was growing up, the Billy Graham crusades, that was the, if it ever came to town, that was the big deal. He came to Birmingham about twice. My parents made sure we were there in Legion Field, somewhere to listen to Billy Graham. And it was, it was, it was incredible. In that day and time, it was one of the most incredible uh, arms that God used to reach a city. But let me tell you what we noticed. Do you remember at the end, they would always sing, just as I am. And he'd say, if you came on a bus, they'll wait. You come now. And so people would leave. People are coming from everywhere. And they would just flock to the front. You remember that? It was incredible. It was moving. Did you know that less than 5% of the people who came to those altar calls ever continued following Christ? Of those who weren't just church people saying, I want to say that I went down at a Billy Graham crusade. That was many of them. Now, that's not Billy Graham's fault. In fact, Billy Graham touched so many people that way. More than we were touching any other way. But how sad. That much seed was scattered. And so little fell upon good soil. That's the sad thing. Somebody said the the saddest thing about the cross of Christ was not the suffering of Jesus. It was the sleepy disciples in the garden. Sometimes following Jesus is just not that simple. Coming to Jesus is extremely simple. But it takes something on the inside to say, I'm going to follow him. And he doesn't want people to follow him that aren't willing to follow him. That's what following Christ is. I want to paint for you today, very quickly, three portraits of discipleship. I I believe that people can see discipleship sometimes better than you can hear about it. So I'm going to not do so much talking, although I'm not going to quit. I want you to look at some things to let you see what discipleship is, okay? Let me paint three portraits of discipleship. Portrait number one. That's it. The potter's wheel. I read in in the book of Jeremiah, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and he was working at his wheel. 
The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled by the potter's hand. He reworked it into another vessel, and it seemed good as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord said, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O Israel. That is discipleship. We're the clay pot. He's the potter. What a simple version of discipleship. When I look at that picture, I see, first of all, that clay has got to be pliable. It can't be hardened. It's got to be pliable. It's got to be able to be changed and moved. It's always exciting for me to see a potter working at a wheel. He he just take one finger and lay it across there, and it just makes this beautiful groove into the into the pot. It just was really cool. And it's not a lot of effort for him, but boy, that pot has to bend and move and that's discipleship. When you walk with Christ, he takes this vessel. That's who we are. The Bible says we are in earthen vessels. And he begins to mold us into that which we could not be without the hand of the potter. But you'll never be molded into what he wants you to be unless you're first of all pliable, flexible, um, teachable. I teach master's commission that the best disciples are teachable ones, not the ones that know a lot. In fact, I, I, sometimes, I dread it sometimes when I get people to come to master's that know it all. Because I know first thing I got to do is take the sledgehammer and tear up the pot. It's so much better to have somebody just come as a wet lump of clay and let God just begin to mold them. If they'll remain flexible and teachable, they could be a disciple. I remember when I was a, uh, when I was a high school student, I used to go to a, a camp every summer. Uh, well, for three or four summers, it was called CFO camp. Anybody ever go to a CFO camp here? <laughs> There's one of us. <laughs> it was an incredible camp. And uh, there was a guy there. He was in college. Now, I'm in high school. I'm like junior in high school. There was a guy there in, in college. His name was Bo Wright. Bo Wright. He was like blonde-headed, blue-eyed, surfer kind of guy. Uh, played the guitar, sang. Had this really, really nice, gentle tone. Sort of quiet. Just smiled all the time. Sort of an... Nice-looking guy, and I decided I was going to be a Bo Bo. I was going to be Bo Wright. He was the perfect disciple. He was. He could sing. He was musical. He could sing. He he uh he he was nice-looking. He was taller than me. That's a big deal. All the girls liked him. So I decided if I was going to be a disciple, I was going to be like Bo Wright. So I remember I went there with a few of my friends. I remember going to dinner one night. We're all sitting around the dinner table, and, and uh, I'm not saying anything. I'm just being quiet like Bo. And I sort of I, talking some spiritual platitudes. I remember having a little bit of an air in my breath. And my friend looked at me and said, Mark Sims, are you trying to be Bo Wright? Right in front of all my other friends. I was humiliated. 
You know what? God did not create me, blonde-headed, blue-eyed, musical talent, tall, surfer dude that's quiet. God created me short, normal. I don't want to say ugly. Brown hair, originally, brown eyes, and loud. That's just the way God made me. Discipleship for me looks different than discipleship did for Bo Wright. God called Bo Wright to be the Bo Wright Christian. That sounds funny, doesn't it? Bo Wright Christian. God called me to be a Mark Sims Christian. I have to be a disciple in the... In the image God made me. And discipleship is going to look different for you than it looks for anyone else. It's going to involve many of the same things. It's going to learn, you're going to learn many of the same lessons. But when it's all said and done, discipleship is so you will learn to walk with God the way God created you to walk with God. That's what discipleship is. You just have to be flexible. You have to stay on the potter's wheel. discipleship is is not the job you do it's not the ministry you identify with it's the person you are that that on the potter's wheel was not making them into a preacher that's not making you into a christian businessman a wealthy christian businessman no it's making you into a disciple It has nothing to do with what you do for a living or what your talents are. It has everything in the world to do with who you are on the inside. That's what discipleship is. And that's why you're on the potter's wheel. Let me show you a second portrait. Discipleship is also like this. Now, you probably think I'm crazy. Those are two Flemish women from the 1600s. In the kitchen. See, she's got a basket of eggs. And this lady's, uh, she's cleaning something right over her sink. I think she's, I don't know what she's doing. But it's called Two Women in the Kitchen. They're just doing regular things. They're talking and they're cooking and cleaning. They're just doing regular everyday stuff. Discipleship is every day. It's not just the big stuff. It's not the Billy Graham crusade. It's the getting up every day and serving God. Blaine Pascal said, The strength of a man's virtue is not measured by spiritual exertion, but by habitual acts. Your measure of being a disciple is not by what great things you do once a year. It's what you do every day. That's what a disciple is. And we get the idea that disciples are made to do great tasks. Disciples are made to do daily tasks. Sometimes those daily tasks are going to end up great things. But God created you to do them daily. To me, the best portrait of discipleship is the two women in the kitchen. You know what those are? I'm just going to call them two Christian women in the kitchen. Two disciples in the kitchen. Because we all have to live in the kitchen. We all have to do things every day we go to work. We pay our bills. We raise our children. 
We make decisions every day that don't come out of the Bible. We say things that aren't quotes from the Scripture every day. We have to take that nasty stuff called money and use it. We have to make decisions every day. If Jesus and discipleship won't make a difference in your daily walk, it's not discipleship. If it only makes a difference in a revival service, it's not discipleship. If it doesn't work in the day-to-day world, it's not useful. Let's, let's imagine that every one of us that got electricity installed in our house. And Alabama Power said, okay, we want you to pay the first month up, for, up front. And uh, so we do, you know, like a deposit. We pay the first month up front. And so we're all excited. We all have electricity in the house. And so we go, get, gets time to use the microwave, and we mash the microwave button, and it doesn't work. The electricity's just not working. So we go and try to blow dry our hands. It just doesn't work. So the next month, we try it again. It just doesn't work. It never does work. I don't know about you, but I'm not paying my power bill if it doesn't work. Why in the world would we want to walk with, say that we walk with Christ and claim the name of Jesus, but not allow it to even work on a daily basis? Electricity in your home that's not useful on a daily basis is not useful. The same is true of, of a car. It's, it's incredible if we wanted to go and ride sometime in a really nice car. Or maybe, maybe somebody has enough money to just buy some fancy car and park it in their garage. I don't know. But cars are valuable to me like in the morning when I'm going to work. And if I get the car and it doesn't crank and it won't turn over or the wheels are flat every morning, tires are flat, then that car is not very much use to me. If it doesn't work on a daily basis, why in the world do we have it? Or what about, have you, ever, have you ever used a recipe that didn't work? Have you, ever, have you ever cooked something from a recipe and it just didn't work? You tried it again and it just didn't work? You're going, what idiot wrote this recipe? It doesn't work. It's of no use whatsoever. I want to tell you what. God gave us a recipe book that works. And discipleship is learning to use this recipe book not for the big things in life, but for the daily things in life. The Bible says we've been given exceeding precious promises so that we, by by become partakers of these, we can become partakers of divine life. We get to enjoy the divine nature of God by following this on a daily basis. Prayer is no good if prayer is just for panic situations. Prayer works when you talk to Him every day. And you know him. You have a relationship. You know, I read and I, I sometimes read stories about some of the great famous Christians. We've seen them uh, in in our day and in times past. These great famous Christians, like there was a guy who was an evangelist named A. A. Allen. Some of you uh, older folks might have heard of A. A. Allen. He was a healing evangelist, incredible guy. A. A. Allen died as an alcoholic. This is what he said. He preached all over America, healing the sick. He was incredible. He, he was incredible. Got kicked out of the assemblies of God for drinking, but he, he was incredible. A.A. A. Allen said, the stress was just too much. That's why I turned to alcohol, because it was just so stressful. People have to understand that. We're going, if Jesus doesn't work, 
in your stressful life on a regular situation, then obviously you're not a disciple. You're just, you're just on stage. You're just a pony. You're just a little prancing horse up here for people to see. If it doesn't work on a daily basis, it's not real. I, I think about the tragedy of Jimmy Swaggart. He did incredible things. Spent Latin American child care, he, thousands of children fed every day because of Jimmy Swaggart. But Jimmy Swaggart had a hard time walking with God on a daily basis. And it destroyed him. I'm telling you, if Christianity doesn't work on a daily basis, Sandy, it doesn't work. It's got to work. Sometimes, have, have you ever been around somebody that... Um, when they got angry, they just started going, well, blank, blank, blank. They just let on. I'm sorry. I was just so bad I had to do that. <laughs> well, if, if a moral standard only works when you're not mad, it's not a moral standard. It's just a calm standard. I, that, that has always bothered me. Well, I, I'm sorry I had to do drugs. Or I had to drink. Why? Because I was just stressed. Just so stressed. Well, if Jesus, if moral standards don't work in stress, then they're not a moral standard. If Christianity doesn't work on a day-to-day basis, it's not Christianity. If our faith only works when everything goes well, it doesn't take faith to serve God when everything's going fine. It takes faith to walk with God when things are rough. And that's what Christianity is. That's why it's a, <laughs> that's me. That's why. <laughs> I thought those ladies got mighty ugly when I turned around and looked at them. That's what Christianity is. Let me paint a third portrait for you. Thank you, Mike. I'm getting close. Let me paint a third portrait for you. It's the portrait of Simon Peter. That's Jesus helping Simon Peter out of the water. We actually don't have a portrait of Simon Peter. Nobody knows what he looked like. That's sort of what he looked like. At least he did that. The guy halfway in the water, that's Simon Peter. Let me tell you what a discipleship is. Discipleship looks like a person. Let me just use him as an example. Now, I'm going to just sort of real quickly tell you the story of his life and see if this is not the story of a disciple. He was a rugged fisherman. He heard the call of God. He followed Jesus. He had a big mouth. He was always getting in trouble by things he said. He might say something great like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He also may say something like, you will not go to the cross and die, Jesus. Jesus at one time said, Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom. He also said to him, get behind me, Satan. Peter one time took a knife out and fought for Jesus. Jesus prayed for Peter. Peter denied Christ. Then he faced Christ. He repented. He got renewed. He preached the Pentecost sermon. He preached to the Gentiles. Then he acted like a hypocrite in Antioch in front of the Gentiles. But Peter ended up in Rome. He was crucified upside down for his faith. Peter followed Jesus, and every step of the way, he learned something new about his Lord. Simon Peter, the disciple, didn't have it all together all the time. There are always things in his life that suddenly came to light, and he was changed little by little by little by little. 
discipleship looks like a person. It doesn't, it's, not a, it's not a set of rules you obey. Discipleship looks like you. With all of your failures and all of your successes. When Peter was old, after he had done all this stuff, he'd done all the good stuff, got rebuked for all the bad stuff. This is what he said. For this to you who have been called because Christ suffered for you, you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He continued entrusting himself to God. He, bore him, he himself bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you've been healed. For you were like straying sheep. But now we have returned to the shepherd of our souls. Peter, it sounded like his life, didn't it? I look at Jesus. He was perfect. I tried to be. I wasn't. But guess what? I just kept following him. I just kept following him. And he's changed me little by little. And I've returned now to the shepherd of my soul. John Newton, he's the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. He's the guy that wrote the song. This is what he said. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I'm not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. That, to me, is about as good a picture of discipleship as you can find. Discipleship looks like a person. looks like you. Yeah, it's a nice biblical potter's wheel. Yeah, discipleship is every day. But discipleship has a face, and it's your face. It's your face. You know, on this Sunday morning, I sort of apologize to all the people that I've served here for 30-something years that that I think I didn't tell you what discipleship was a long time ago. Wish I had of. I knew it. I believed in it. I, I just hadn't been able to learn to give it away to large group of people yet. I, I've done it to small groups of people. But we're about to enter a phase in our church life where we're wanting to give away the secrets and principles and discipleship, the journey to as many people at Kingwood Church as we can. You're going to hear in this next month a lot about it and about how you can begin the journey of discipleship that many of you never have so that you can grow and not be like the precious children with that syndrome that they become believers and they just stagnate and they never grow. We want everyone in this church to grow to learn to walk with Him day by day, to be pliable and flexible all the days of their life, to be able to be molded into what He wants you to be. We want it to have the same kind of face that looks at you every day in the mirror so that you can say, I'm a disciple. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I ought to be. But I sure am further down the road today than I was yesterday. And I'm going to follow all the days of my life. That's the call to be a disciple. Jesus has 
given you a call to follow him. Not just a call to know him, but a call to follow him in obedience. What are you going to do with that call? I'm going to ask everyone.